Hey, it's Shonda. Now let's talk micro formulas. You can try the products that give you whole body support. You've heard me talk about how much they've helped me. Now you can try them too. All you got to do is use podcast 15 at checkout for 15% off. That's podcast 15 at checkout for 15% off. Visit microformulas.com. A podcast about life. I mean, that's a struggle. I think with every single day, are we good enough? Everything it can throw at you. The only person that can make us happy is ourselves. Real people talking about life's real issues. Oh, yeah, there we go. This is Intentionally (laughs) Disruptive with Shonda McNeil. All right, our series this month is called Hashtag Giving Tuesday. We are doing this in honor of the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, which is the global generosity movement to give back to organizations that transform our communities. Now, this week, we're going to be highlighting the Royal Family Kids camp. It is a summer camp for children in foster care. It has been around for over 28 years. It's located right here in Idaho. And joining the podcast today is the director of the Royal Family Kids Camp, Wendy Anderson. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, This is a big deal. We really want to highlight uh, all of our local organizations here in Idaho, and we just appreciate you being on with us. Uh, How did you get involved with the Royal Family Kids Camp? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I think this is awesome that you guys are doing this, Um, but I'm thrilled to be here and share this with you. So Royal Family Kids Camp, as you mentioned, started 28 years ago here in Idaho. It actually um, nationally started over 30 years ago in California. Um, They have about 240 camps uh, worldwide. So we're not just in the United States, but we're in about 44 states in the United States and in about 12 countries. So it's pretty exciting. It's growing leaps and bounds. I got involved about 11 years ago when I... Guy came to town to fundraise actually for a movie called Camp, and it is actually about Royal Family Kids Camp. Oh, um, It's not a true story, but it's based on true events, and they did film it at a camp. It's pretty fun to watch, actually. We use it for training. There's some things to the do. The called not Camp? Do. Yep. It's okay. called Camp. Okay. Um, used to be on Netflix. I think it um, went off of Netflix, but you can search it. But So he came to fundraise for the camp, and... Um, at the time, I didn't realize it was a real camp, got to the end of the pitch, and I'm like, wait a minute, is this a real camp? And he's like, yeah, they're all over. So looked it up in Idaho, got involved with the directors at that time, and that was about 11 years ago. Totally just wanted to be a counselor. Um, that's all I really ever wanted to be was just be a camp counselor for that camp and help out. And um, my background is in uh, counseling, have a master's in counseling okay. and early childhood development with a specialty in trauma and just all things brain-related and kid-related and child development. So I got placed in a position, which I was honored to have. I was happy to do it. Um, It's called Child Placement Coordinator, but basically it's a liaison between health and welfare and the kids and families that go to camp. So did that. Somehow along the way, that director talked me into being the director. It took about (laughs) four years. (laughs) But, you know, did some prayerful thinking and here I am. So um, I've been the director for about five years. This will be my sixth year. Um, And then, yeah, yeah. And I love it. We have a great team. We take about 80 volunteers every summer. Um, 80 wonderful, amazing volunteers. As you look over at Rachel Cook, who is our, Rachel is our um, assistant producer. As you know, we've talked, uh, she's been on the podcast multiple times. She's sitting, always sitting here in the studio with me every recording. She's sitting next to me now and her and Wendy are giving each other the googly eyes because Rachel, definitely, this is one of her passion projects and she has spoken very highly of the camp and just like anything she can do. And and as soon as we started talking about the Giving Tuesday series for November, she's like, we got to do the Royal Family Kids Camp. We're like, okay, done, you know. 
know because she's obviously been a counselor there and has helped the organization. So, um, so many great things. Yeah, what, we uh, love Rachel. Her mom actually too. has been involved with the camp for a long time. She's served a number of roles as well and kind of recruited her whole family. Um, awesome mom. And Rachel's sister's been. And then last year, yeah. she, a couple years ago, she brought her husband. So, oh, yeah. You got Connor yeah. involved, too. It's kind yeah. of something about camp that once you get involved, it's hard to just not come back. So we become a little family there. So, yeah. How do you guys determine? Because like you said, you need 80 volunteers, which is a lot of volunteers every year to yeah. gather everybody up. Um, how do you determine which kids are able to go? to the camp? So we work straight with health and welfare, um, and we try to take the, you know, the toughest of the tough. Um, They're all pretty sad stories, but we try to pick children who have siblings maybe that have been separated um, through care or just the the kids that have been in many placements. um, Those children just need more than anything a positive experience. Um, some grown-ups that are fun and can, you know, show them some trust and love. So we let health and welfare pick those. And okay. um, we do sometimes take ki- children from outside of health and welfare um, out of the area. It just kind of depends on the circumstance. But they're all technically wards of the state, so they are in care and either in temporary placements or have been um, – have terminated their parental rights permanently. So some of them are ad- available for adoption and some of them are just temporarily in care. Um, but we go through that list, and unfortunately, we can't take them all. We usually take somewhere between 45 and 50. Um, and, yeah, then we take them up for a week at camp, and it's just a week of immersing immersing them in love and fun and play. And all of them have had, you know, at least – some sort of major trauma. If it's not physical abuse, um, it's neglect or emotional abuse. Yeah. Um, most of them have had several placements in many different homes. Mm. Um, so, you know, we know what we know. One of the things that our um, organization does is focused on a therapy called trust-based relational intervention. It's okay. a mouthful. Okay. So yeah. TBRI, but um, I became a licensed practitioner in that um, about five years ago, and then Royal Family Kids um, adopted that as kind of their main training format. And so we go through about 12 hours of training with new volunteers. Oh, and you do. So the, even the volunteers yep. are training. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yep. that's great. So they get just a little little taste of TBRI, but each year they get more and more. Um, and it's just really based on building a trust with um, – building that trust with those children. They come from places where they don't trust anything, not even yeah. tomorrow. They don't know what they're going to have in their back pocket. They don't know what they're going to have on their back. And they often, unfortunately, get just pulled from homes and situations without any warning. So – the key to healing that trauma and what we know is that trauma, you know, really does brain damage. I mean, from the time a child is born, um, you know, a healthy, securely attached child will have hundreds of interactions with their parents of baby cries, mom picks them up, you know, baby cries, mom picks them up, baby's hungry, they mm, get fed, yeah. they get held, they get loved. And that forms the natural development of their brain. And um, sorry, I get a little geeked out about this. No, 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 part. please. No, I, no, I, please. They just, get as geeked out as you want to get. It's how we heal them. Yeah, you know, it's healthy attachment. understand yeah. um, how it happens. But um, so when that doesn't happen, um, so, you know, help, healthy development, they get held, they get loved, they get fed, they get nurtured, they feel safe, they build trust. Um, their brain goes from these sweet little babies that are, you know, moldable and formable, language develops, um, you know, normal, fine motor skills develop, um, eventually, 
you know, their frontal lobe develops and they have cognitive ability and can problem solve and, you know, come up with solutions for their own problems from the time, you know, they're three. Yeah. This starts happening. Um, some of us have developed that more than more than others throughout life. But when you have some sort of trauma like that early on, it just um, disorganizes everything. So their language is delayed. Their, um, you know, reading ability is delayed. Their speech is delayed in all kinds of ways. Um, and more importantly, they don't know how to express emotions yeah. properly. So, I mean, it doesn't take a rock they science to figure anyone. out. Yeah, they don't trust yeah. anyone or anything. And that's what they've learned. So, you know, um, if you were fortunate enough to have parents who picked you up when you cried and held you, and I'm not saying for parents who are out there trying tough love and letting your babies cry to sleep sometimes. That's okay. I'm not saying that's this child is severe. abuse. This is severe. I'm talking about yeah. severe, disorganized neglect. And, you know, when a baby cries and they don't get held, and the baby cries and they don't get held, and the baby cries and they don't get held, they learn to stop crying, which, you know, as they grow older, they don't learn to express needs. So they just figure out how to resolve stuff on their own. And often that looks like, you know, when we move to a school-age child, first and second grade, little boy in class, um, having a hard time with crayons, doesn't, you know, not understanding colors, um, things aren't making sense, and he gets really frustrated. So instead of raising his hand or asking for help, he throws a chair, you know, yeah. kicks the kid next to him, um, throws a fit. What we see to, you know, untrained people um, is that it just looks like a bad kid. You know, he's just a kid with behavior issues and somebody needs to spank him and that kid and needs discipline. And those kids need the most love. Yeah. yeah and absolutely. what he really needs is just, yeah, that's the only way he knows how to communicate. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm frustrated. I need help. So what we do at camp, I mean, there's, you know, hours and hours and hours of research and training about this. But um, at camp, essentially... The theory is, and we know it works. We've seen it work for 28 years, and it's amazing. So they are seen and heard for where they're at. We know that those behaviors aren't willful disobedience. That's a survival technique yeah. most often, and that's how they communicate. So, you know, people say, oh, my gosh, this is huge. How does a week at camp help? So it helps. Um, Becca Johnson, who's a PhD, has done just extensive, extensive research on trauma, has actually looked at our camps um, and said that she feels a week at camp is equivalent to a year of counseling. Yeah, And it's absolutely true. We know that through healing the brain, um, physical safety is important first, mm -hmm. which builds that trust. And then there's a natural growth and redevelopment of the brain. I mean, the brain wants to connect and it wants to heal. So you love and just see that kid where he is and give him safety in every way, physically, emotionally, um, then they make these little connections. And we see it happen at camp. I and mean, we've had kids that will just totally blossom. Um, and we say, and this was basically my thesis for my whole um, education was that it takes one adult. And it can be a coach, a grandma. I mean, often it's not your family. Sometimes it's a teacher. Um, a neighbor mm -hmm. can be a grandparent. We love it when it's family, but sometimes it's not. That that one person just loves and provides that environment for the kid to see a different way. Um, they see a healthy example of what a loving, kind, safe adult looks like. And they just spark this little bit of hope. And they know that it's in there. They, they're raised in that environment, so they don't always know that it's wrong. But there's really something instinctual. Instinct 
instinctual in a human that knows when something's not right. And we know from research and, you know, grown children from these environments that we talk to that say, you know, I didn't know that it wasn't normal to be beaten every night yeah, until I was about nine. And um, <laughs> this great story, I'll make it really short, but um, this grown-up child who now is an adult and helps at camp actually and has volunteered, um, his family situation was one of the worst, um, just a horrible environment, um, alcohol involved, abusive parents, and his he looked a lot like his dad, looked a lot like his father. So his own mother, who was not with him anymore, just took everything she yeah, out had in him. the world that she didn't yeah. like out on him. Um, darling kid, but he was beaten all the time. And he realized that, so he was on the kitchen floor. His mom had her foot on his head and was holding him down and yelling at him. And he said, you know, I looked under the fridge and there were Cheerios under the fridge and a bunch of dirt and just total, you know, disarray of things that should not belong under a fridge. And he said, it clicked in me that, you know, this isn't right. All of that shouldn't be under the fridge. And it's such a strange story that that's what took for him to not know what was right but then it clicked for the rest of it it's like my head shouldn't be on a floor i shouldn't be under my mom and it hurt but you know when they love their parents they love their parents that's all they know so until they see it different they don't know any different Uh so that's what we do at camp we just give them a different experience they see couples that are married there Um, we have an aunt and uncle and we have a grandma and grandpa so they get a healthy example of Healthy relationships and how grownups talk to each other. Uh, the volunteers are kind and respectful and loving and funny and happy and yeah. patient and kind. And so, you know, I've said for a long time that it feels like when I'm at camp, it's really, really hard work. I mean, there's sweat. We're working mm-hmm. by the sweat of our brow. There's sweat. And there's... um You know, we're running a mile a minute, and it's not all neat and tidy. I mean, we get to camp, and there's a little bit of chaos that gets managed every week. But it is a little bit like this side of heaven. I mean, you just know that we're all working together. Everybody kind of sets aside their differences. We have about—so it is a Christian camp. Um, We do not convert children, but we take really loving, um, really loving good people to camp, and that's the example. We just want to be the example of love and hope. But we have about 12 to 13 different churches that are represented from various volunteers across the valley. And it that doesn't matter one bit. I mean, at camp, we are one group and one family, and that's that. And well, it's really cool to see. And you mentioned having fun and just showing them love and things like that. Obviously, I mean, when I went to summer camp, we would go kayaking and we do all those things. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that it's, it's as normal as possible for these kids. But is there anything added in there, like special for them? Like, do you, do you sit down for counseling? What are some of the extra things that you guys do to provide for them? Yeah. So, um, ironically, we're buddies at camp. We're not even camp counselors um, because they have counselors. Most of them have six counselors and they okay. don't want another counselor. So you're a buddy. So we're buddies. So yeah. even though we're camp counselors, we call them buddies at camp. Um, and the unusual thing about our camp is that we try to be one-on-one. So we have one adult to one child. In some cases, we'll have two children with one adult. Uh, just for numbers, sometimes we – I, sorry, just can't say no. It's like, well, we have a little sister that needs to go. It's like, okay, we are uh, finding yeah. them a place. Like, <laughs> yes, we don't right. say no. So we can – and the model is with camp um, internationally, no more than two children uh, per grown-up buddy or counselor. Um, but we do try to be one-on-one. And so that's unique because that person is with them 
almost the entire time. Um, that sometimes, you know, deters counselors from volunteering because they're like, oh, my gosh, I have to just babysit this kid all week. And you don't. It's not babysitting. We have a staff. Why we have 80 volunteers is because we have a kitchen staff and a drama staff and a music team and the activity team. So you basically get to show up and just play with that kid all week. You don't have oh, to fine. think of the events. You don't have to discipline. Bond with the them. Kid. Yeah. And we, connect, yeah. Yeah. And we have a um, kind of a child specialty team that is, you know, myself included. There's five or six individuals that just have more extensive training in TBRI. So should a child have a behavior that's just, you know, off the chart for some reason, we step in and help with that. Um, the important thing about camp, though, is that we know through playful engagement and just play, um, it teaches them to try new things. It gives them a little courage. Some some of these kids have never had a birthday party. Um, yeah. I know that seems really wild to say, but it's true. So we have a birthday party midweek that everyone just has a wild birthday party. It's so oh, fun. fun. I think I remember Rachel talking about that. Yeah, the birthday yeah. parties. Yeah, so yeah, fun. It's, it's um, you know, it's great. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, kids don't think they deserve a present sometimes. So Ugh. it's really hard. But it's so fun. They get to experience that. And we honor their name and the day they were born. And it's a big deal. And that's important to a kid. Because yeah. some of them share a birthday. or they It's important to adults. We celebrate my birthday yeah. the entire month of August. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. That's the way it should be done. It, it's that's a big deal. Yeah. So we do that. We, have, we do zip lining and fishing. And they swim in the lake. Some of them learn to swim for the first time. Um, they go on a jet boat ride, a sailboat ride, archery, um, woodworking. There's a crazy, insane woodworking station where they can build anything they want to build. The foster parents and biological parents do not like us when we bring them home because they come with bags and bags of projects and toys and yeah. bugs and things that they get. But it's a blast for them. So they we just know. So they say, you know, have you ever heard the saying it takes 10,000 repetitions to become an expert oh, at something? Absolutely, yeah. So in Healing the Brain, we know. It takes 25 times to start a new connection of something in a brain, young or old. So through playful engagement, it only takes 25. It doesn't take 10,000. So for a kid, you jump on a zip line who he's terrified to get on. Um, he climbs up. He's got to climb up the ladder. He's got to put on the harness. He's got to trust the guy to catch him. He's got to know that he's not going to fall off. You are building so much in that little body who's yeah. learning to trust a human yeah. and do something for themselves. So our whole philosophy is to love them, build that trust, um, turn them a little bit loose so that they can learn to do some things on their own. And we do that with behaviors, um, physical stuff. We teach them and come alongside them when they're having a behavior. So instead of having a meltdown and saying, you go have a timeout and we'll talk to you when it's over, we believe more in time ins. So we go sit through that with them. And if it's, you know, watching them sit on a rock and throw a fit for 10 minutes, then we just make sure they're safe. And we wait yeah. until they come out of, you know, their fight or flight and freeze instinct, which is just frozen most of the time and angry and mad and that looks pretty scary sometimes for a little kid, but we just sit with them, get them through that, and then we come back and say, hey, let's rework that and tell me what's going on. Like, what do you need? Um, and just really help their bodies. And it's a lot more science to that, a lot more training to it, but that's basically it. It's like we see them where they are, we hear them, we acknowledge that they're upset and what they need, and a lot of times they just tell you. I mean, sometimes yeah. they're like, I need you to leave me alone. Right. And it's like, okay, buddy, thanks <laughs> yeah. for telling me. Yeah. I'm going to be right here, but when you're ready. And they do it. I mean, they tell you what they yeah, need. So absolutely. It's, yeah, and by the end of the week, they, um, they come back. We sing songs for their um, foster and biological parents, and they go home with— 
T-shirts and bags and water bottles. They all get um, a blanket that is handmade for them with their name on it. Oh, nice. Um, they have a, oh, what a great idea. disc of songs that yeah. I'm sure drive parents crazy for the rest <laughs> of the year. But um, they, we have parents, parents and kids that contact us and just say their kids were forever changed, that yeah. they just came back a new kid. So I think we build that hope and we build the confidence in them that there's a different way. After one week. Yeah, all it takes one week. Yep, yep. Now you mentioned obviously we, you need 80, 80, 81 volunteers for the camp. What are some other needs? Uh, do you take donations throughout the year we take for the money, camp? Shonda. Take money. We take That's money. good. I, I always push. It's like you know, yeah, you could donate stuff, items all day long, but cash is the is the way to go. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. how how if someone want, if someone listening wanted to donate, how would they do that? Well, there's many ways. Um, but yes, we do. I'm kind of joking when I say we need no, just I, money. But I, we do. I mean, it takes money. No, yeah, no, and money. there's a, a number of people. Um, it's all privately funded. We don't ask the volunteers to pay for their way. Um, the kids are all paid for, obviously, because they're words of the state. And, you know, everyone knows health and welfare doesn't have cash oozing out of their pockets to pay for that. So we do donations and we always need people. There are people that we need at home. We need people at camp. Um, there's a team that um, next year is just making all the cakes and cupcakes for the birthday party. There's people that come set up stuff for us, um, help with training. They just bring food to training. We do a send-off on the bus when they go up to camp, and then we do a welcome home dinner when they come home. So even if you can't volunteer, there's a number of ways you can serve at home as well. So the best way to do that is our website is actually boise.royalfamilykids.org. Um, and royal is just like we treat people royally. So it's yeah. hard to hear that and know it. Um, you can also look at, so ironically, two years ago, we actually converted. So every, this whole thing started as camps for kids, and it was Royal Family Kids Camp. We've stretched out to do so many more things across the globe that um, we converted to For the Children uh, two years ago. And that is kind of an umbrella organization over Royal Family Kids, um, but we're still Royal Family Kids Camps. So you can look us up either under For the Children Boise, or you can do boise.royalfamilykids.org. And everything about us is on there, how to get hold of me is on there, how to volunteer is on there, how to donate is on there. What about fundraisers? What do you have coming up? Yeah, so COVID sort of kicked us in the teeth oh, on that kicked one. Everybody in the yeah. teeth. That's why we're doing this series. The yeah. big thing is like let's let's, let's try to get some awareness out yeah. there. Yeah, for goodness sakes, come yep. on. We used to have a big black and white ball that was super fun. Everybody dressed up and danced and donated all kinds of things and spent I a bunch go. of money. And it was a blast. <laughs> um, we converted to more online giving. Um, we know that there were we were missing a lot of people who wanted to get involved, who wanted to send ten dollars a month, and that's huge. You know, people across you know the valley didn't necessarily want to spend fifty bucks on a dress or couldn't and come you know pay a hundred bucks for a ticket. So we were hitting an amazing group of three four hundred people every year. But people would ask us, like, how can I just give 10 bucks? I'm like, I don't have that. I can't come or, you know, I'm yeah. not here. And we were missing out on that. So that same website at boise.royalfamilykids.org, um, you can donate one time. You can donate monthly. And it takes us about $500 a year per child um, to send them to camp. And that's the camp and the volunteers and all that stuff goes on. So that's like 40 $41 a month. Um, so it's basically $10 a week. But I am I will tell you all day long, we have people that donate faithfully $10 a month. 
And that is huge. Like yeah. every single you don't dollar. Realize. Yeah, absolutely. We don't pay anyone. Uh, every single dollar goes straight to the camp. And we're doing some other things too. So this year for the children is trying to kick off this campaign of Seen the Unseen. And it's really just educating, making people more trauma aware. So really paying attention to trauma-informed care. And that's helping teachers, counselors, educating the world on how to identify child abuse. Obviously with the pandemic, I like to say there's a couple of gifts that came out of it, and there are. I mean, I think we can now connect virtually like never before. Yeah. Um, one of the disadvantages is that, you know, all of these kids who are in school, those are the kids that even on virtual, some of these kids in these families that are um, at higher risk never logged on one day during, you know, the pandemic. Yeah. So they're not seeing teachers who are becoming more aware of abuse and those that, you know, know physical and emotional abuse and neglect. Um, They're not going to doctor's appointments as often, so those kids just aren't getting seen. So millions of children, um, you know, were affected last year. It doesn't, you know, again, take too much math to realize that your family's stuck at home. Maybe one or both of your parents lost their job if you even have two parents. So economically things. All those things. I mean, the drinking. So... They say that reporting went down, and it did. Reporting went down, but, um, you know, domestic violence calls increased, drug use and alcohol use increased, those calls increased. So there's, I mean, there's no, we're just not seeing them. So the abuse in children definitely went up. They're just not reporting. Yeah. The, 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 the Women's and Children's Alliance were in here last week. Yeah, yeah, and They yeah. said the same thing. It's like, even though it's reporting yeah. that it's down, it's really not. It's yeah. gone up. We're just not seeing them. They don't have, they don't yeah. have the freedom to get in someone's face and say, hey, this is going on. They're, they're yep. kind of trapped, basically. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So the two new things we're trying to do under For the Children this year are increase the awareness of seeing the unseen, which is... Um, teaching just the general world how to identify child abuse. Um, And that is on our website, like identifying the signs of emotional abuse, which are really hard to do even in grownups, but physical abuse, um, sexual abuse signs, and neglect. And, you know, we have a number, probably about half our kids have been physically or sexually abused that come to camp, but all of them have had great neglect. So that one is really the most common and what we really can help, you know, stop. Um, so that and we have one of the things that Royal Family Kids started several years ago was a mentoring program. So camp is great. It's awesome. Does great things. But we want to stay in touch with these kids throughout the year. So the mentoring programs um, and we've been trying to start one here for a couple of years. But COVID really, again, just kind of yeah. kicked us in the teeth on that. It's yeah. hard to get rolling. It's a whole new group of volunteers. It stays in touch with these kids once a month or even once a quarter throughout the year. Um, you certainly can be a camp volunteer and do it. But, you know, and our volunteers are so amazing. They give up a week of their life and go to camp. Some of them give up a week of their vacation time. You know, yeah. you have two weeks of even that. Um, so it's hard to have and ask those volunteers to do more during the year. A lot of them want to. Um, we just need that kind of organizing kicked off. So money this year will go to um Mentoring, trying to start up the mentoring program, more advocacy and education just to the population about everyone, you know, in the grocery store, not just teachers and doctors that are identifying child abuse and neglect. Like we need everybody's eyes on this because that's how that's how we stop it and help them. And I want to really emphasize foster families and foster parents are the world's coolest people. (laughs) 
Like yeah. they are amazing. Social workers in this world right now have to be losing their mind. Oh man, they are. I, mean, also I know quite a few. People. I have a few yeah. friends, and I, I just they're angels. They're just so they're yeah, angels. Their hands they, are tight. Yes. they spend most of their time. Yeah. I mean, they went to school to help children, and they it spend most of their them. time moving children. Yeah, I mean, just from place to place to place, and that's the demand. Um, but we really have a heart and a place and a hope and you know, a drive to help the biological parents. I mean, we say uh, for the children mm -hmm. that it's um, much better to build a stronger child than try to fix a broken adult. You know, it's just, it's harder. It takes more money. We know the statistics on some of these things are that, you know, children in care, half of them don't receive a diploma um, by the age of 19. Many of them have pregnancies and unwanted pregnancies by the age of 21, like 50% of them have had a homeless experience or are homeless. 25% of the um, females and males by the age of 21 have a child or have had a child that they've had to give up. You know, they not long ago, just a couple of years ago, they updated the numbers on death row inmates and 74% of them were former foster children. Yeah. And so it just, it, you know, the pattern continues. So yeah. we have, I have, we all have this heart for the biological parents. Like, they don't want to be like that. I mean, they were those kids. You're trying you know, to stop years the cycle. Ago. Yeah. yeah, and so it. we really push for reunification whenever possible and try to help that. And one of the things for the children is doing is really pushing the advocacy of training parents. Um, TBRI is one of the best things. Training foster parents. So how can we reunite these kids with their own biological parents? So we're really doing a lot of research and helping, trying to help, you know, the departments of health and health and welfare across the world. Um, help train and teach and teach parents how to parent, reunify them whenever possible. So I think they really get, you know, kicked on that deal. It's like, you just need to take these kids out of these homes. They're being abused. And yes, that's absolutely right. In those cases, we do. We do. There's right. some extreme cases right. where rehabilitation right, right. and reunification is not possible. But, um, you know, the biological parents aren't the bad guys. They're part of the process. problem and the part pro of the yeah, process. Yeah, yeah. And if we as humans, it's so easy. I tell my team all the time, it's so easy to love these kids. Who doesn't love these kids? I mean, you go and they're all just cute. I, seriously, darling. Like, you think that it's just this wild bunch of animals. They're not. They are the most normal, regular kids on the planet. They just want to be loved, and they're so cute. Some of them are so stinking smart. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And they glom on to an adult so quickly. Monday's a usually little interesting day. They're like, who are you? What are you doing? I'm in a strange place. Right. I mean, you think about from a grown-up view, we look at going to camp, and it's like, we know it's fun. We know you get on a bus. We know you're going to have a birthday party, and you're going to be safe. But to them, they're a kid packing a bag, taking a sleeping bag, taking all the change of clothes they probably own. Half kind of, of a trigger for them, fit. kind of, in a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and you're getting on a bus, and yeah. you don't really know where we're going. Right. We don't really, really advertise the location a lot because we don't want biological parents who aren't supposed to be there to show up. Right. So you that's kind smart. of don't know where you're going. Right. That's smart, though. And so these 50 kids are terrified on this bus not knowing where they're really going or if they're coming home. So that Monday is a little scary when they get off the bus, and it takes them about a day, and then they start digging in, and they become like best buddies with a buddy. And that's why we try to do one-on-one -on -one because they know they have a safe person no matter what who's just there for them and whatever they need the whole week. So. Yeah, well, we're going to put this on our social media, on Intentionally Disruptive, on our Instagram and things like that. But give the nice. website one more time before yep. we close out. Yep. So it's boise.royalfamilykids.org. And if you are out there and you're needing help, I mean, don't forget, you can call 211, which is just Fostering Idaho. 
Um, you just dial 211 on your phone, and it's how to become a foster parent, learn more about what you need to do, what the requirements are, what the training is. Um, and then I don't want to go without mentioning that um, one of the things we did see an increase in during the pandemic was self-reporting and child abuse. And if you do know the signs and you want to know about those signs, you can um, 1-800, the number 4, 1-800-4-A-CHILD. Is how you either self-report if you're having issues, parenting or need help, or if um, you believe you've seen an issue of child abuse. So 211 is for fostering, how to learn about foster parenting. 1-800-48-CHILD is to help um, report or self-report. And then we'd love to have you on our team or even just sit down. I'll buy you a cup of coffee and have a conversation if you think you have something to um, give to the team or become part of the team or volunteer or donate. It's boise.royalfamilykids.org. Wendy, thank you so much thank for coming you. in. Uh, coming up next week, we continue the Hashtag Giving Tuesday series with Life's Kitchen. They are a nonprofit right here in Boise, Idaho, helping youth learn life skills. That's next week on Intentionally Disruptive. Intentionally Disruptive is presented by Microbe Formulas. Creating solutions at work is what we do. Restoring hope and health is who we are. Visit us at microbeformulas.com.